Good morning. As we come to the scripture reading section this morning, would you please open your Bibles and follow along with me as I read John chapter 6, verses 1 through 21. If you are reading along in the Pew Bible, it's on page 891. Hear what the Spirit is saying to the church. After this, Jesus went away to the other side of the Sea of Galilee, which is the Sea of Tiberias. And a large crowd was following him, because they saw the signs that he was doing on the sick. Jesus went up on the mountain, and there he sat down with his disciples. Now the Passover, the feast of the Jews, was at hand. Lifting up his eyes then, and seeing that a large crowd was coming toward him, Jesus said to Philip, Where are we to buy bread so that these people may eat? He said this to test him, for he himself knew what he would do. Philip answered him, Two hundred denarii worth of bread would not be enough for each of them to get a little. One of his disciples, Andrew, Simon Peter's brother, said to him, There is a boy here who has five barley loaves and two fish, but what are they for so many? Jesus said, Have the people sit down. Now there was much grass in the place, and so the men sat down, about five thousand in number. Jesus then took the loaves, and when he had given thanks, he distributed them to those who were seated. So also the fish, as much as they wanted. And when they had eaten their fill, he told the disciples, Gather up the leftover fragments, that nothing may be lost. So they gathered them up and filled twelve baskets with fragments from the five barley loaves left by those who had eaten. When the people saw the sign that he had done, they said, This is indeed the prophet who will come into the world. Perceiving that they were about to come and take him by force and make him their king, Jesus withdrew again to the mountain by himself. When evening came, his disciples went down to the sea, got into a boat, and started across the sea to Capernaum. It was now dark, and Jesus had not yet come to them. The sea became rough because a strong wind was blowing. When they had rowed about three or four miles, they saw Jesus walking on the sea and coming near the boat, and they were frightened. But he said to them, It is I. Do not be afraid. Then they were glad to take him into the boat, and immediately the boat was at the, at the land which they were going. May God bless the understanding of the reading of the word. Let's pray. Lord God, what a friend we have in Jesus. I thank you that he is with us through the storms of life. I thank you that he will never leave us nor forsake us. I pray that you would build our confidence in Christ as we have heard your, read, uh, your word read. And now as I seek to proclaim it in the ears and hearts of your people, I pray in, in his name. Amen. You may remember about a year ago, maybe a little over a year ago, that uh, Coke Zero ran a commercial where a little boy was in, a, in a, an ice cream shop and he orders an ice cream cone, and of course the, the man working in the ice cream shop gives him the ice cream cone, 
And the young boy looks up at him with this expectation. And he says, and? And the ice cream shop owner says, oh yes, and puts sprinkles on it. And so he has this very satisfied look. The commercial follows this, this uh, boy as he grows up into young manhood. And as at different points in his life, uh, he keeps saying, and, in order to get something extra. And so he has just graduated from college. He's being hired for his first job. And his new boss says, congratulations, you've got the job. And he looks across the table and he says, and? And the boss says, stock options. And so he has this very satisfied look and, and he's going to get the, the corner office and everything else. And the point is, um, for the commercial, Coke Zero has real Coca-Cola taste and zero calories. This sermon is the and from last week's sermon. Last week, all our attention was was uh, on verse 6. So verse 6, uh, Jesus said this to test him, to test Philip. For Jesus himself knew what he would do. There were two simple points that flowed from last week's sermon. First, we saw that Christ will test your faith with circumstances uh, beyond your control, just as Christ tested Philip by telling him to buy food for the many thousands of people that had gathered uh, to hear Christ uh, while he was preaching. And then we also saw from verse 6 that Christ has an outcome already planned to bring you through the test. So he says, for he himself knew what he would do. This means that Christ provides for us even before the trial begins. Uh, this is a tremendous comfort to know that your trial is not a surprise to, to Christ. That whatever you are going through, even the worst suffering in your life, the greatest trial that is completely beyond your control, Christ, uh, this is not a surprise to Christ. He is the author of your trials. He tests us. Or, as I said last week, he squeezes us like a toothpaste tube to help us remember how much we need Him. He tests us so we won't rely on ourselves. He tests us to help us live by faith. And not only has He designed the trial for us, He has also designed the way out so that we can pass the test as we trust in Him. And so this is wonderful news. This is the message of last week's sermon. But there's an and. We're going to celebrate and delight in the and this morning. There are two parts to the and that we are going to celebrate and delight in this morning. As we saw last week, Christ provides for us before the trial begins and Christ provides for us after the trial is over 
and Christ provides for us while we are going through the trial. So there was this great crowd of people who had come to hear Jesus. Jesus fed this um, this great crowd by dividing the fish, the two fish, and the five barley loaves. And while he's doing this, he's putting the disciples to the test. The crowd knew nothing about the test. All they knew is they were having their bellies filled uh, by Christ's miracle. But Christ is putting his disciples to the test. And of course, as we pointed out last week, uh, Philip and Andrew and really all the disciples failed miserably in this test. They thought Jesus was being unreasonable. What do you mean feed this great crowd? Remember the crowd was 5,000 men plus women and children. We have no idea how many people, but many thousands have gathered to hear Christ. And so they, they obviously think Christ is being unreasonable. What do you mean, us feed all these people? What do you mean, even a whole year's worth of wages could not buy enough for each person to have one, even one bite of food? So after the miracle, Jesus continued to teach the disciples about His grace and about His ability to provide for them. So, we didn't look at this last week. Um, We'll look at it now, verses 13 and 14. Jesus uh, gave His disciples some instructions. Verses 13 and 14. So, I'm sorry, verses 12 and 13. uh, Here are the, the instructions. And when they had eaten their fill, He told His disciples, Gather up the leftover fragments that nothing may be lost. Verse 13, so they gathered them up and filled twelve baskets with fragments from the five barley loaves left by those who had eaten. How many baskets did the disciples gather? Twelve. How many disciples were there? There were twelve. Is this a coincidence? Not at all. Uh, In fact, the significance of gathering twelve basketfuls of bread was not lost on the disciples uh, because after the crowd had had eaten, each uh, disciple had a basketful for themselves uh, in order that they might eat. Do you think I'm overstating the significance of the twelve? I don't think so. In fact, if you'll look at the very end of chapter 6, it's likely not on the same page you're looking at because chapter 6 is a long chapter. Uh, But if you look at verses 67 through 71, you'll notice that Jesus continually refers to the disciples as the twelve. So verse 67... Jesus said to the twelve, Do you want to go away as well? Simon Peter answered him, Lord, to whom shall we go? You have the words of eternal life. And we have believed and have come to know that you are the Holy One of God. Jesus answered them, Did I not choose you, the twelve? And yet one of you is a devil. He spoke of Judas, the the son of Simon Iscariot, for he, one of the twelve, 
was going to betray him. So they had this identity, this self-identity that they were the twelve. And so they gathered these twelve baskets uh, full of bread and now they have abundant food for themselves, each one. The point that Jesus is making to the disciples is that when you serve Christ and when you go through circumstances that are beyond your control, while He is testing you, He will take care of you. And after the test is over, after everyone is eaten, He continues to take care of them. The disciples, they didn't initially pass the test. They did not get each a basketful of bread as a reward for their faithfulness. Uh, but Jesus gave them uh, this bread to remind them that He fully provides for His people and that His grace knows no bounds. Not only were there 11 faithful disciples, but there was also a 12th, Judas Iscariot, who, didn't, who did not belong to, to Christ at all, who would end up betraying Christ. And yet, in Christ's grace and in His mercy, He also received a full provision from Christ. All of us go through trials most of the time, we stumble and bumble our way through. We try to trust in Christ, but we have our pity parties. We often complain against our circumstances, even though our circumstances are like a gift that God has given to us to help us be holy, to help make us more like Christ. And yet we, in our anger, will complain against those circumstances. Yet in spite of ourselves, Christ brings us through to the other side. And not only does He bring us through, He continues to bless us. As we live through the trial, as God brings us through the trial, He's teaching us through our failures. He prepares us for other trials. Even through our failures, He's making us more like Christ. I've told this story before. It's been quite a while now. Uh, you may remember it. I certainly remember it. It was something that happened to my wife and myself while we were in seminary. Um, I wrecked our car, totaled it, and so we had to buy another one. Uh, we bought um, we bought a minivan because we were starting to have children at that 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 time. Uh, a couple of days after we bought it, um, it was stolen. And we found all we had was a little pile of glass out where we had parked it. Um, we, uh, we got another van. The timing belt broke, uh, $1,500. Um, and they were unwilling to um, pay for, for the timing belt, even though it was like two days after we had had gotten the, the new van and it was uh, it was it was uh, quite a trial. 
And through it all, my wife, and plus this was my second uh, year in seminary, this is where we had to write all our um, theological papers and exegesis papers, uh, had a lot of Greek, a lot of Hebrew. I was taking extra extra classes on top of the regular load because I wanted some counseling courses. And it was it was it felt like beyond our ability to endure. To quote Paul from Second Corinthians chapter one. And my wife and I, instead of handling it real well, we began to fight and argue just over small things because we were just feeling the pressure of having to borrow cars and, and everything else while while uh, things were being repaired. And then we got the insurance check. And uh, Pennsylvania state law says that you get the average between the blue book and the, and the red book or whatever. Um, so they don't even take into account how much you paid for the car. Well, we went in and got like the, the deal that draw, they're supposed to draw everybody in. And we got such a great deal that insurance, after we paid for um, the repair, to our van, we still cleared like $1,500 more. <laughs> um, and we were so ashamed of the way that we did not trust God all the way through the trial. God blesses in spite of us. And so... Um, this is the lesson of the, the twelve basketfuls of bread. Christ's blessing does not end when the trial is over. He continues to bless us. When you have endured more than you think possible, when you have suffered and then suffered more and then suffered even more, so that you feel like you cannot suffer anymore and Christ brings you through, and you take a deep breath and you say, thank you, Christ. He doesn't leave you at that point. He continues to be with you and continues to bless you. He will be your soul's satisfaction. And I think this is what He's telling the disciples. Even though they have failed the test, He's saying, I am still with you. I still love you. I will give you everything you need for life and for godliness. I think that's the significance of the symbol of each one gathering twelve, uh, or each one gathering a whole basket of bread to feed themselves. So, as we saw last week, Christ provides for us even before the trial begins. And as we have just seen, He he provides for us after the trial is over. And He provides for us during the trial. The lessons from the test of the feeding of the 5,000 did not end um, for the 12 disciples after they had picked up these 12 basketfuls of bread. After everyone was eaten... Uh, that's horrible. After everyone had eaten, uh, my southern came out in that last sentence. After everyone had eaten, uh, they picked up 12 baskets um, of bread they had eaten, and then it was getting late into the evening. 
Jesus dis, uh, instructed his disciples to cross over the Sea of Galilee. But it says in verse, um, oh, I got to get on the right page, verse 15, that Jesus stayed behind. He went up to a mountain by himself. It was growing dark. They did not have the light pollution that we have as we live um, outside of, of Tampa. Uh, if the moon was not shining, then it was very dark. As the twelve were rowing their way across the lake, in the dark, the sea became rough. Strong wind began blowing. When you're in the middle of a trial, it can feel exactly like what the, the disciples were experiencing. All around you feels like darkness. Strong headwinds is blowing against you. You're being tossed about by the circumstances beyond your control. And you can feel alone that God is nowhere to be found. I heard a sermon yesterday at Presbytery where the preacher was preaching from Psalm 22. And the preacher said, King David was suffering through a bitterly harsh time in his life. What he knows to be true and what he is experiencing seem irreconcilable. I think that's an exact description of what many of us have experienced as we have gone through trials. It may be exactly what many of us are going through right now and presently experiencing. But take heart. Jesus is never absent. The lesson of verses 16 through 21 is that right when the waves were rocking the boat most violently, the disciples look up. Who do they see? They see Jesus walking to them on the waves of the sea. And He's coming nearer and nearer to the boat. And so Jesus said to them, It is I. Do not be afraid. Oh, to hear those words when we are in the midst of our trials. It is I. Do not be afraid. Now, it goes without saying, but since I'm a preacher, I'm going to say it. The disciples were never alone. A.W. Tozer says, The notion that there is a God, but that He is comfortably far away, is not embodied in the doctrinal statement of any Christian church. If you are ever tempted to think that God is not near you, if you're ever tempted to think that you are alone when you can't sense God's presence with you, I want to encourage you. Read and meditate upon Psalm 139. Listen to a few verses of Psalm 139. Uh, this is King David writing. He says, Where can I go from your spirit? Where can I flee from your presence? If I go up to the heavens, you are there. If I make my bed in the depths, you are there. If I rise on the wings of the dawn, if I settle on the far side of the sea, even there your hand will guide me, your right hand will hold me fast. If I say, surely the darkness will hide me and the light become night around me, 
even the darkness will not be not, will not be dark to you. The night will shine like the day, for darkness is as light to you. You're never alone. No matter how alone you may feel. Let's just pause for a second. I want you to I want us the, the lesson from John six verses sixteen through twenty one to soak into our souls. Jesus was near the disciples even when they felt alone. And He came walking on the very waves that were causing them to be unsettled. In other words, Christ is the ruler of the waves. He's the ruler of the waves of tribulation and hardship in your life. No trial is bigger than Jesus Christ. I think that's the significance of Him walking on the waves. Not just that He can walk on water, but He's walking on the waves to help us know deep down in our souls that He is sovereign over the tribulations in your life. That no wave will be so high and so big that it can overcome you. Because Christ is able to walk on the waves. No suffering is more powerful than His sovereign kingship. Nothing in your life is greater than His ability to control. And, and this is the biggest and yet, He doesn't just overrule the circumstances in your life. He comes to us in the middle of, of our storms. And He says, It is I. Do not be afraid. And, this is an and on top of the other hands, He climbed into the boat with them. Do you see that? He enters into the trial with you. You are not alone when you are going through your trials. Christ enters into your life and goes through your trials with you. You say, but will He do it every time? Will He become too busy? Will He become distracted? Will some trial somehow in my life get by His notice? Listen to Hebrews 2, verses 16 through 18. The, the writer of Hebrews is writing to Jewish Christians who are going through trials. Uh, he tells them later on in the book of Hebrews that, that the trials they're experiencing are not as bad as others that, that Christians are experiencing around the world because they've not yet come to the point of, of shedding their blood. But he still they are going through trials and he encourages them. Hebrews 2 verses 16 through 18. For surely it is not angels he helps, talking about Christ, but he helps Abraham's descendants. For this reason he had to be made like them, fully human in every way, in order that he might become a merciful and faithful high priest in service to God, and that he might make atonement for the sins of the people. Because he himself suffered when he is t was tempted, he is able to help those who are being tempted. That's in Hebrews 2. And then he talks about Christ, and he talks about the need to trust in Him, and then he 
returns to this idea of Christ being our faithful high priest in Hebrews 4, verses 16 through 18. He says, Therefore, since we have a great high priest who has ascended into heaven, Jesus the Son of God, let us hold firmly to the faith we profess. For we do not have a high priest who is unable to empathize with our weakness, but we have one who has been tempted in every way, just as we are, yet did not sin. Let us then approach God's throne of grace with confidence so that we may receive mercy and find grace to help us in our time of need. The passage in Hebrews 2 says, Christ helps us. And so he concludes in Hebrews 4 that we can hold firmly to the faith that we profess. He says that we can overcome temptation because Christ has overcome every temptation and He is at work in us. He says we can approach God's throne of grace right in the middle of our greatest need so that we can find the abundant mercy and grace that He has secured for us. So, while you are going through whatever trial God might send your way, Christ provides for you even before the trial begins. And Christ provides for us after the trial is over. And Christ provides for us while we are going through the trial. In other words, brothers and sisters in Christ, you can be more, or you are, let me say it this way, you are more than a conqueror through Him who loves you. Let's pray together. Father, there are many names and faces that are before my own mind right now who are going through very difficult, even trials that are the, the greatest that they have experienced in their life. And Lord, I lift them up to You with the confidence that Christ, our great High Priest, will help us overcome. And Father, there are many more trials that I am not even aware of, but You are aware of them all. And so, God, I pray for grace and that abundant mercy that You have promised us in our time of need to help Your people cling to Christ and so overcome by His grace and in so doing grow in His grace and in their trust in you. I pray in Jesus' name. Amen.